Welcome to Ask of Expert, helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's Polly Craig. Well, hello and welcome. We're diving back into the entrepreneurial journey this week with an entrepreneur that has reached extraordinary heights. One of his biggest claims to fame is selling his venture Manitoba Harvest Hemp Foods for over $400 million. But today we get to hear from Mike Fata himself as he takes us with him through his journey as an entrepreneur and more importantly, as a person. There are so many paths this conversation can go, so let's see where it takes us. And I'll try and get the answers to all your burning questions. Mike, this is going to be a great show, so let's get started. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you know, I think it's important to kind of set the table and have you start just explain where your whole world began, because it's a very fascinating story. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I was born in, uh, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, but grew up in Winnipeg and grew up with a, uh, with a single mom, my brother and I. And I'd say, you know, generally we were pretty poor. Uh, my mom worked hard, but as a single mom, it was just making the ends uh, meet. So my, my survival instinct, as I think about it as an entrepreneur, was strong right from a young age. I wanted to succeed. I wanted, I wanted my family to do better. And some of those things were the driving force for me that I, I decided to leave school at 13 so I could start working, making money. And that really it set me up for learning a lot about how the world worked and, and how business worked practically before I jumped off and actually started our business when I was 20 years old. So did you know at the time, I mean, leaving school, that's a a huge step and you had some underpinnings to that. But when did you realize, you sound like you were a student of learning, working in other places to understand business itself. At what point did you know you were going to be an entrepreneur? It started even earlier than that. My brother, who's four years older than me, had a paper route. And and when I was seven or eight years old, I started helping him with his paper route. And so I understood the uh, the mechanics of offering a product. And I also helped him at that time, you know, collecting. He used to back in the day going and collecting uh, money and change from the paying customers. And as well, my mom was an accountant at Shoppers Drug Mart, would take home, you know, her, her day end packages, her weekend month end packages. And I helped her with some of that, you know, simply sorting a thousand checks into numerical order. And so I was doing a bunch of that, you know, when I was eight, nine, 10 years old. By the time that I was 13 at school, I, I just felt like two things. One, and I was, you know, I was a, a chubby, overweight, kind of nerdy kid. I didn't fit into high school, was, you know, the social club aspect of it. But I, I thought that I could learn from professors that I chose in life. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of what I did after I, I left school. I just went from kind of a couple different jobs that, that really taught me about work. But it started really young for me. I say I'm a born entrepreneur, but a made CEO. I was really made as an executive by all the lessons that I learned in business over the uh, over the years operating the company. Fascinating. One of the things that I really admire about what you're doing, and we'll get into it later, is that you really stay focused in a vertical that is meaningful to you, that you're very passionate about. How did you get started in the world of wellness and food? Yeah. Um, well, I was not educated about health when I was young. And because we were poorer, um, you know, I'd say we opted for uh, cheaper food because uh, recall, you know, the, after paying the minimum bills, uh, we had like $20 to buy food for the uh, two week uh, pay period. And so it was a lot of uh, macaroni and cheese and, uh, and hamburger helper. And so 
I fell prey from there to the fast food movement and gained uh, a lot of weight at, at 18 years old. If I, I weighed 300 pounds, and then you know just became sick and tired of being sick and tired and decided to do something about it, which led to uh, over 100 pound weight loss, a full lifestyle change. I became very passionate about health, my own personal health, because each advancement that I made in food and exercise and healthy lifestyle just made me feel better. And so far away from the sick and tired of the past, you know, I, I realized that um, not only was health my passion, but my purpose was to help make this world a healthier place. And I live that through uh, Mantle Harvest, through, you know, through founding a health food company, but I continue to live that staying in the industry because I could, I could talk health all day long and it's still as big of a passion of mine as it was 25 years ago when I set out on this journey. I don't know many entrepreneurs that can be so successful financially and operate businesses that they also have such a passion for the industry that they're in. And so can you take us back to the, the beginning times when you started this business how did you start building a team? Like, and you were learning these lessons along the way. Were there certain milestones that you knew you had to hit before you actually brought in a team? And how did it start in the early days? Fortunate there was three co-founders of Manitoba Harvest. So Alex and Martin, we had the ability in the early years to kind of divide and conquer uh, different parts of the business that needed to be set up. I think from my view, and I, and I was the uh, founding CEO, I was very aware that sales, marketing, operations, and finance all had to be kind of balanced in the business to uh, to achieve growth and scale. I think that's, I practically learned that from the kind of seven years before that of actually working in the marketplace. And so as we started to build the team, it, it came naturally. I was doing you know, uh, sales and marketing and finance and, uh, and the others were focused on operations at first. And I knew that so our first hire was a, uh, was a controller and I had calculated how much more that I would have to sell to pay for that person and realized there was the opportunity to sell more. And so that was our first step and, and, and it worked I, I, when I didn't have to be doing order entry and, and some of the other accounting uh, uh, of the business, I could be, you know, dialing for dollars, talking to our customers on the phone and, and, and generating sales. And we were very fortunate that we just had a good growth in the business right from the start. And so I, I always, the next hire or the next member of the team became clear with what it would free me up to do more of, to, to generate more revenue for the business. And at what point did you realize that you would have an opportunity to sell the business? And it happened a couple of times, maybe walk us through that because I, I believe the first sale was to a private equity group. Is that right? Yeah. And so started the business in 1998. In 2009, so about a decade after, we were doing about $10 million in sales. And, uh, and we felt that it was time to bring in an institutional investor, which we did. Uh, Avrio Ventures invested in the business. As part of that Series A investment, we knew and it was clear from them that they had a, a life cycle to their investment of, of no more than seven years, which seven years felt like a long time when we took the investment but seven years came, uh, and it was actually more like five and a half years. In 2015, we had grown the business from $10 million to $50 million in annual revenue, and the board decided, and, and, uh, and Avrio had the right to have the company create a sale process so they could get liquidity. 
that's what was driving that first exit. Uh, but I, you know, again, I knew that time was, I knew the deal that we'd signed up for that, 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 that time would come. And so we, uh, we ran a full auction process with an investment banker over a year process to find the right partner. And, and the right partner turned out to be a, a, a private equity sponsor that bought majority uh, control of the business, but still allowed me to, to operate and be involved. And we continued to grow the business uh, from there. So on that piece of your journey, how much reliance did you put on working with professionals and advisors and who did you bring into the fold to help you through that process? Again, you know, you left school at age 13 and you've been learning all the way along, but you didn't have a lot of experience in private equity. Who helped you? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a sponge. Through the journey, I've realized that I like learning new things. I'm a, I'm a quick study. I'm a quick learn. And so um, I became really interested in the, the legal aspects of the business, the financial aspects of the business, and, and did over the years uh, assemble a, a strong team of, of accountants and lawyers and, and other advisors that could help me. You know, at first it was it was going through and raising capital and and having shareholders and 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 those normal transactions and and the uh, and the support needed to complete those transactions definitely picked up when we went through the sale process and so I learned a lot about investment bankers and their structure and how how those those businesses are organized how an auction and deal process is done. I was glad that we already had strong relationships with legal and financial advisors because they were they were required uh, through that process and I already had them soundly as part of our team. But you know, and now as I as I think about it as an entrepreneur and an executive and and uh, and talk to other entrepreneurs, you need those resources if you're in a in a business, especially a rapidly growing business. And and the sooner that you can organize that uh, external team of advisors and and uh, and professionals, the stronger you're going to be as you go through the different growth phases, especially uh, on a sale process of a business. It's a twenty four seven operation. Uh, aside from actually still operating and managing the uh, the company itself. Have you ever thought I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. So at the same time that you're growing your business, you were very instrumental in the regulatory aspects and getting approval and having hemp approved in both Canada and the United States. So were you leading that track as well, or was it one of your partners? How did you process that? Yeah, um, the the other two co-founders before I joined them and we started the business were lobbying the government to legalize hemp in Canada. Um, And so that predated me. I joined them the year that hemp was uh, becoming legal and we started the business. But from there, you know, there was continued lobbying in Canada for for changes to the hemp regulations. And I was highly involved in that, both as the CEO of the business, but also we formed the uh, the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, so the national association that represented the uh, the different hemp companies in Canada. I chaired that board for six years and uh, and we we lobbied through the efforts of the organization uh, mostly, and then similar in the in the U.S. in partnership as a member of the Hemp Industry Association in the U.S. and in partnership between the Canadian Hemp Trade Association and and the U.S. lobbied to the U.S. government to legalize hemp, which 
was a, a whole lot longer of a process. It didn't, uh, you know, hemp legalization in the U.S. didn't happen until 20 years after Canada. So 1998 in Canada and 2018 in the U.S. Wow. That's a long 20 years. A couple decades, yeah. And we thought when we got hemp legal in Canada, we thought just two to three years in the U.S. and it'll be legal. And there's all the signs there that it's going to happen. And things can take time, especially from a regulatory and uh, and, but that was, you know, all the stars aligned there. And, and that's when the U.S. legalized hemp and Canada legalized recreational marijuana. And there was more focus and, and spotlight on cannabis that did align to give us the ability to sell the business the second time, which was, uh, uh, I think, timing is everything. And those happenings did uh, provide that uh, proper time. The timing was good, but it must have contributed, I can only guess, to your valuation as well the fact that you were so integral in that piece of it. Yeah, the first time we sold the business, we sold it for three times revenue. Uh, so it was a $132 million transaction on about 40, 45 million in trailing 12 months revenue. And uh, and then three years later, through an acquisition and, and more organic growth, we had the business at about $100 million in, in revenue. And the second time when we sold it to the strategic Satilray, it was four times revenue. So it was a $419 million transaction. And so I think you know, part of what was happening in the marketplace definitely drove up what the, the valuation multiple was of the, uh, of the business. So fast forward, and now legalization is there. There's other forms of cannabis, et cetera. And crossover to the food side of the business, what about mushrooms or other things? Is, is that a piece of, that you're working on? Well, yeah. Um, so it's been three years now since, uh, almost three years since since I exited Manitoba Harvest. And I always wanted to retire, to come out of retirement. So I knew, you know, after 20 years of growing and managing a business from zero to $100 million, you know, I, I wanted to figure out what's next. And the what's next for me came more in the form of not operating a business, uh, but being involved strategically as an investor, as an advisor, and and, and as a board uh, member. And I, I take board board governance uh, seriously. I've learned a lot about that. I've been a chairman of the board, my own company, but then started to get involved in other companies. And, and uh, Mushrooms is one. I'm fascinated with mushrooms. I think mushrooms and cannabis have a bunch of similarities. They're sold as food. Uh, they're sold as supplements. They can be medicine. They can be drug. And so I think mushrooms caught my attention. And so I've been I've been involved for the last three and a half years in a functional mushroom company that is making you know cordyceps and lion's mane and some of these functional mushrooms that have a, a health benefit to them. But also got involved uh, with Good Cat Pharma, which is. Uh, which is creating uh, medicine based off of psilocybin mushrooms, uh, so so psychedelic, psychoactive mushrooms. So I, I like mushrooms, and I generally like uh, you know uh, health and and healthy food and healthy products. So I have a, a portfolio now of other companies that I'm invested in, and some of them I also advise and uh, are on the board or chair the board. Well, I want to touch on that piece, but you know you brought up psychedelics, and as I understand, there's emerging research showing that psychedelics are effective for psychotherapy for a variety of psychological disorders such as depression, PTSD, et cetera. Where's the line, and is that something that you're involved with? That's a big waterfront that gets back to regulatory issues and everything else. Where do you draw the line between food and drug and whatever else is involved? I had my own experience when I was young with uh, with psilocybin, with psychedelic mushrooms, and it could have been at first, you know, it wasn't thought that I, I was trying to uh, do anything more than have an experience as a teenager. But looking back, I think 
it was one of the experiences that helped me take a different view of myself and my lifestyle that led me to changing my thought patterns of who I was and got into that weight loss and got into the bettering myself and creating more of a healthy lifestyle. So I, I, I've had the experience of how um, impactful taking psilocybin can be for people, which now, you know, 25 years later, there's clinical trials being done to formally prove that. And, and so when there was an opportunity to get involved with a business, even as an advisor and an investor, I believe that is the future. I think that uh, people, whether it is PTSD or people are living in traumas in their life and they want to change their lifestyle, uh, a medicine or an experience like that, uh, especially as it, as it gets more into a uh, practitioner kind of setting, can be highly beneficial to uh, to change someone's life. And so I've signed up and said, if I can help businesses like that, that are licensed by Health Canada, uh, that are doing clinical trials that, you know, maybe five years from now or in some period, there is going to be a, there is going to be a drug, a natural drug available based off of those Mother Nature's gifts. I'm a big believer in that. And I think that the future is really bright for those type of products. Amazing. So let's talk a little bit about, you You know, you've been a huge supporter of entrepreneurship and mentoring, and you have the fatafleischman.org, which is, as I understand it, you offer a toolbox at no charge to these young people in a, your vertical, you've stayed in your lane, which is health and wellness. Tell us a little bit more about that and some of the companies that you're working with. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for that. I um, you know, giving back has always been uh, very important to me. I, I, my mom, uh, even though it didn't have much, I witnessed her helping other people whenever she could with a hand up, uh, support, whether that's a conversation or whatever. And so that was it was it was ingrained in me when I was young. And so I believe I created success by all the giving that I've done. Uh, and I've volunteered for nonprofit boards ever since I got into business. And I always took the time to, to talk with other founders and entrepreneurs and just and lend some of my experience to them. When I retired and came out of retirement and I had more time on my hands, I put a personal focus to myself that, uh, that I was going to spend more of that time mentoring, uh, mentoring other entrepreneurs and in the health, natural and organic product space, in the health food space to help make this world a, a healthier place. Spent a, a lot of time in conversation with founders and, and just simply getting a good understanding of where their business was at and then telling them uh, what I would do if I was in their situation. And then offering them some tools and templates, you know, as a as an entrepreneur that grew a business from zero to hundred million dollars, I developed a lot of yeah tools and templates over the years. Whether it was a, a forecasting model or or an investment uh, presentation a pitch deck example or investor lists or informational articles on on how to set up and grow the business, and and so um, I was. Myself, as long along with Greg Fleischman, we're having these conversations with entrepreneurs. We're emailing these forms and templates to them, and I and then it got to a place where it was unsustainable the volume of it. I said to Greg, you know, we should set this up, and and how about we think about this as more of mass mentorship? And if we if we put all of our forms and tools and templates together in one place, and we can create more of a self serve, um, so that entrepreneurs can go there and 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 access those tools. Let's see how that goes. So you know, that was earlier this year. And it, it, it did start as a Dropbox folder. Uh, now it is fatafleischman.org, so self-serve website. Uh, it's all free, but there's been uh, almost 10,000 entrepreneurs that have accessed the website, accessed the toolbox, are using their, uh, the forms and templates, and there, there's hundreds on there. Uh, it's, it's very in-depth. It's, it's basically all of Greg and I's tools. 
And we started to do trainings on those tools as well. So people can understand how to properly set up a product margin, how to, how to properly forecast their profit and loss and their other financial statements. And, and so it is a give back project. Uh, we feel like it's just getting started. There's a tremendous amount that, that that's going to become, but in the simplest form, it's, it's mass mentorship. So we can touch more entrepreneurs and help them out. So fantastic. We're going to put your information on Fata Fleischmann on the website when we drop the show notes for this. Who is your ideal audience for that? Is it all entrepreneurs or is it specifically in the food industry? I think it's all entrepreneurs because there's definitely, there's definitely materials in there that are going to be beneficial to all entrepreneurs. Both Greg and I are consumer packaged goods uh, entrepreneurs and, and operators. And so people that are in the consumer packaged goods space are probably going to have some extra tools and templates in there. But I, I think there, I think there's benefit for all entrepreneurs. And we can see of that 10,000, it's not just all CPG uh, founders that are accessing it. And and now because of uh, our podcasts and, and online and social media, it's not just a Canadian or US thing. It's international entrepreneurs from all over the world that are accessing it, which is greatly exciting because again, you know, it's 10, 11 months into that project. We feel like we're just getting started. So here you are. You started at a young age, you sold your business and retired at a young age, you came out of retirement at a young age, and now you are, have launched this new program at still a young age. What does Mike Fata look like in 10 years from now? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I'm 45, healthier than when I was 18, for sure. Uh, my brother and I uh, made a commitment to each other to live uh, till we were 100 uh, and put a lot of effort into our personal health to hopefully accomplish that. So I feel like I'm very still young in my career. I'm writing a book next year. Um, I'm continuing to develop the, the mentorship program. I want to touch more entrepreneurs in the natural and organic product space. But it's generally all the things that I'm doing and have been doing over the last couple of years that I think are just going to get continue to get more focused and more intensified. And I hope that I, I can keep doing that, you know, for the next 40 or 50 years. This has been so fantastic. Is there anything that you want to touch on that we haven't already covered, Mike? I, I think the thread and the theme has been through the conversation, but I would just encourage anyone that's listening to this that... You know, you can create a, a tremendous amount of goodwill. Uh, if you believe in karma, then a tremendous amount of karma just by giving back. If the more that you help other people is the best way to help yourself. If there's, there's one thing I'm trying to do in my legacy, it's not a legacy of all the things that Mike Fado's done. It's a legacy of giving back and showing the community that the more that you give back, the, the better it's going to be for yourself, for your family, for your friends and, and, and for your business. Well said. And I am testament to the fact that you do live by that mantra. And it's been a privilege getting to know you over the last year or so. And I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. And I look forward to staying in touch long into the future as we build our community together, Mike. I do as well. And, and uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for helping to, uh, to share my voice and to share my message. Please note that the conversation in this podcast is for informational and learning purposes and does not constitute legal, financial, or business advice. The Ask of Expert podcast is a production of Exit and distributed globally by the Sound Off Media Company. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.